Man, it's uh, so good to see you. For you guests out there, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're glad you're here. Hope you stay uh, for Epic Sunday. The rest of it, we haven't got a picnic coming on and some other stuff today. Outdoor baptism starts about 1.30 and Lord's Supper and then we have a business meeting. This is going to be an epic day, man. We're glad you're here. Uh, a few years ago, a TV show kind of came on, one of those cable channels that nobody ever really watches until this show came on. And uh, it was about a guy and a gal. His name was Chip. Her name was Joanna. And they lived in Waco, Texas, still do, and they fixed up homes. It's called Fixer Upper. And a lot of you uh, women have probably gone and maybe dragged your husbands to Waco, and you've seen Magnolia Farms, and you've seen the silos, and guys, you've watched your wife spend way too much money on stuff that you really don't need in the house, but it makes it look really cool. And uh, that's what's supposedly. And maybe some of you, I've even seen some of you guys, somehow your wife cons you into wearing a t-shirt that says, Fixer Upper, the silos, the Magnolia Farms, and guys, come on, we have a support group for y'all that meets on Thursdays, uh, you guys that do that. And in, in the course of Fixer Upper, you know, there was all these things that sort of that came to life about homes in Central Texas, and I'm from South Central Texas, so I understand this, and, and they discovered this thing called shiplap. And I don't know if you know what shiplap is, but it's paneling turned sideways, I mean, that's, that's all it is. And I grew up, and I went to homes all the time, and there's shiplap, only we didn't call it that, we just said, why is their paneling crooked? You know, it's just turned sideways. And, and so Chip and Joanna would go to home, and, and they would find this stuff, and it's like, oh, they found gold, you know, and, they, got to, and they, they had to find a way to use it and put it somewhere else or restore it, get it back. And, and the, the whole thing about Fixer Upper, and, it, and I watched a lot of those shows, I thought they were pretty cool too. Uh, <laughs> confession, we were in Waco one time, and Debbie and I went and found some of the homes in Fixer Upper, and that was just humiliating to even admit that. But guys, if you'll put you in good graces with your wife for 100 bucks, I can tell you about half a dozen of those things are. So here's the thing. You know, you take something that's been broken. You take something that's been tarnished, something that's been destroyed, and, and you put it back together. You restore it. And that's the whole premise of that show, taking homes and putting them back together. And, and it's, the thing about it is in our lives, we're just like that. In all of our lives, at some point, we're broken. And we need to be restored. We need to be brought back to that place where we should be. And the only way for that to ever happen is through grace. We're in a series this month entitled Grace. And we come to the end of it, and this is, this is kind of in the title of the series. Grace is God's response to sin. I mean, God always has grace. But we only need grace because of sin. And so, you know, in our sin, we experience the, the grace of God. And, and so we, we've seen a message, you know, talking about you know, sin, as, as bad as it gets, the terribleness of sin. We saw a message about the power of grace over sin. And last week we looked at Paul's life. He needed grace, the only thing that would help. And so that, today we kind of bring it all uh, to a conclusion, to a story that hopefully will speak to each of us in some way. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50. And it is about restoring what is broken, taking what is broken and restoring it back together. And it's a beautiful story, and there's an illustration within the story. And in just a few moments, I'm going to go through all that with you. But here's what I want you to see. As we bring this whole series to a conclusion, this is the thing. When brokenness is met by grace, life changes forever. Think about it. When brokenness is met by grace, life changes now, when, when, when you come to the gospel writers, uh, these guys, they didn't write in chapters. You know, they just wrote their story. Um, you know, chapters were added in the New and the Old Testament much later. But, but when they wrote, they wrote with a purpose in mind. They didn't always write chronologically. Sometimes they wrote topically. Sometimes they wrote just trying to get a certain point across. And so when you come to chapter 7, 
you, you come across right off the bat, and Luke's just moving his narrative along, two examples of the grace of Jesus. And grace isn't mentioned, but it's there. First is a story of a Roman centurion who was a, who was a Roman soldier uh, over 100 men. And by the way, anytime you come to the New Testament, anytime you come to a centurion, they're almost always spoken. They're always spoken of in positive light. I don't know why they just are. This guy evidently worshipped God. He was a Gentile, but he worshipped God. And he, he was in a good relationship with the Jewish elders of his town. And he had a servant who was very sick to the point of death. And he asked the Jewish elders, could you go to Jesus and see if Jesus could come by and heal him. And so the elders went and said, look, this guy's a good guy. Why don't you come heal, heal his servant? So Jesus was on the way. And then the centurion just sent some other guys and said, you don't even have to come to my house. You know, I'm the person over authority. I know what it is to give commands. All you have to do as a person of authority is to, it's just to give the command and heal my servant. And Jesus said, this is amazing. This guy has faith. I've never even seen faith like this in all of Israel. And this is, this is the thing. He healed the servant without ever going. He healed the servant long distance. That's, that's crazy. He didn't even show up to heal the guy. And then right after that, Luke says he's going to this town of Nain, and there was a funeral going on. A, a man had died, and behind the, his casket is his mama, and she has nobody left. She's a widow, no kids left. That was it. And she was going to be destitute from that point forward. And Jesus, and with all the people around, it said Jesus had compassion on her. And in his compassion, you know what he did? He went and he just put his hand on the coffin. And he said, get up. Get up from the dead. Just rise up. Say something. And, and the guy rose from the dead. I mean, that's an unbelievable power. Did, did this guy deserve it? No. He just did it. Jesus just raised him. And the people were just unbelievably amazed at this power of Jesus. And so from there, we're told, Luke tells us, that at that time, John the Baptist, he, he sent someone to Jesus and just said, hey, are you the one? Now, John had, had baptized him and said, this is the, the Lamb of God, but he wanted to make sure you're the one. And so Jesus told his disciples, the disciples of John, you go back and say all the things, tell them all the things you've seen and I've done, so he'll know. And then when they left, he just told about John. He started talking about John. And, and when he started talking about John, Luke kind of concludes it by saying this. There were some of the people, or a lot of the people, and the tax collectors, sinful people like tax collectors, they, they had followed John's baptism to get their right, life right with God. But... Pharisees and other religious leaders, they had rejected the baptism of John, and their life was not right with God at all. And then Jesus just kind of talks about the fact that the the Pharisees and religious leaders looked at Jesus and condemned him for hanging around with tax collectors and people who were called sinners. With that as the background, we're going to come to our story. Now, our story... Luke shares an an encounter of three people, one who had a broken life, one who had a hard life, and one who was the way of life. Those are three people. Now, this is a story about grace, just pure grace. And and let me just remind you of what our definition of grace is, just so you'll know. Because some of you are new, first time here during the series. Here's grace. Grace is the gift of God expressed or experienced in his action of extending Mercy, loving kindness, and salvation to people instead of condemnation and judgment. So it's God in his actions giving forgiveness, mercy, love, salvation. So verse 36, here we go. Here's the passage. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now understand, 
The Pharisee was the leader of the community. And back in that day, the rules of hospitality, the culture, said when somebody like Jesus, who was considered a religious leader also and very popular, came into your community, someone needed to invite him over to have kind of an official meeting, official dinner. So this Pharisee, the leading man, his name was Simon, invited Jesus over. In our day and age, we would probably go out you know, to a restaurant, but there they went to the house. And they would sit at the table. You know, they didn't dine in chairs. The table's about 8 to 10 inches tall. And they had pillows, and they would recline at it, and their feet would be at the back, and they would be at the front. And, uh, and other people would get to come. I mean, there was probably a few other people at least sitting there eating, probably not the disciples of Jesus. They probably had to stand in the gallery. This was the crazy thing. People would come into their house, and he would have a large house, and they would just stand all around watching them eat. Can you imagine can you imagine having a dinner party, inviting people over, and then just the rest of everybody in your neighborhood and people all around the community just came into your house to watch you eat? That would just be kind of weird. I mean, I know, and the women especially, you'd be worried about people going around looking for dust behind everything. There's some dust there, there's some dust there, not a very clean house. I mean, this, we would just, our minds can't grasp that, but that's what they did. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. Now, I understand all of us are sinners, but when it says that she was a sinner, what it means is this. She was either a prostitute or an adulterous woman who went from one relationship to another. Now, there may be, you may read a few places that says, well, we don't know that for sure. Well, listen, <laughs> In that culture, you know, they, they didn't, to call someone like a woman a sinner, they weren't talking about she had a gambling problem or she drank too much. That's not what they, how they thought. She was an immoral woman. She was a prostitute or involved in adultery. And when she learned that he, that is Jesus, was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and that perfume was an ointment, and it was worth a lot of money. And, and back then, you know, they didn't have 401Ks, and they didn't have savings account. And so a woman like her, if she needed something, she kept whatever value she had in that ointment, kept it in that vial. She could cash it in. Here's the thing, though. This verse 38, you've got to picture this. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. So she walks into the house. She's not welcome there. She's a sinner. She's out of place. And she goes behind Jesus, which probably no one was behind him. So all these people are just staring at her. And she wants, she wants to take the, the perfume she has, the ointment, and, and anoint his feet. But she just begins to cry. And it's not just a few tears. I mean, she's just sobbing. She's just weeping. And all she knows to do, and it's the moment she has her hair up, and she takes her hair and lifts it down and just tries to dry the feet of Jesus. Now, you've got to understand, back in that day, you had your, uh, modesty required women to have their hair up. To have their hair down was completely immodest. I'm looking at women all over the place. Man, you would be scandalous in that day. Your hair is down, touching your shoulder. Man, you're immoral. You're all that stuff. That's how they looked at it. I just wish my hair would go back to my shoulder, man. I think back to the 70s, had beautiful hair, you know, it was thick, you know, it was luscious, and now it's just, I'm just trying as best I can, you know, to get, get it to look like there's some there, you know? I don't want to be that guy that has like four strands of hair, he still combs over his head. At that day, I'm shaving the whole thing. My wife says, you can't shave your head, you had a fat head, it wouldn't look good. I'm like, I'm shaving the head, man. And then I'm buying a wig or something like that. And so she's crying, and she's just, just wiping the, his feet. And then she begins to just kiss his feet in gratitude and gratitude, and she takes that ointment, and she just pours it on the feet of Jesus. And that's just what she's doing. It's a dramatic scene. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he just said to himself, if this man, and he's talking about Jesus, if means, 
and most of the time in, in phrases like this, these ifs are conditional sentences. And you don't care about Greek, and I get that. But it's what we call a second-class conditional sentence. It assumes the negative. He said, if this man were a prophet, but he's not. Everybody says he's a prophet, but obviously he's not. Because he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. She is a sinner. See the hardness of this man's heart. He is saying if Jesus knew anything about this woman, he would never allow her to touch him. No mercy, no compassion, nothing. So Jesus answered him. He didn't say anything, but Jesus said, Luke says he answered him. Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. Now, what's about to happen is they're going to enter into something that's kind of foreign in our way of thinking. They're going to enter into a rabbinic discourse. The rabbis, the religious leaders, would have these religious conversations. They were formal things. So the way Jesus approaches him, they're going to have a formal religious discussion. Now, to understand this, just when a group of pastors from different churches get together, and I don't usually like doing this, man. They get together, there's always the one guy who wants to have these, you know, discussions about theology or the church. And I'm like the guy who's like, man, I don't want to talk about that. So I don't usually hang with those guys because it's just, ugh. I mean, who wants to spend all day long just talking about that stuff? But that's what they did. And so Jesus kind of enters that world and he says, all right, here's the go. A moneylender had two debtors. A moneylender is not quite a banker, not quite a loan shark, somewhere in between. All right, let's get that picture. He had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii, and one other owed him 50. A denarii was a day's wages. Wages were kind of flat. You know, you might pay someone double or triple, but that's what they did. So let me just put it in our terms. One owed him five grand, and one owed him 50 grand. All right, got it? And when they were unable to repay him, he graciously forgave them both. So, Jesus says... Which of them will love him more? Now, we don't think that way. Because in our way of thinking, we're going to probably say, well, it doesn't matter. I mean, you can love him the same. But in rabbinic discourse, when you're fitting anything, everything kind of into the way they look at their law, there's a right answer. And so the answer was obvious. Simon answered him and said, I suppose. And the I suppose is like, you know, begrudgingly, he said, I suppose. The one whom he forgave more. And Jesus says, you have judged correctly. You have answered correctly according to the way you guys think. And what comes next is amazing. Because Jesus looks at the woman and speaks to Simon. Picture that. He's looking at the woman who's just crying at his feet. And and just kissing his feet. And just sobbing. And he speaks to Simon. Here's what he says. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water from my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now, back in that, that day, you know, the roads were dirty and dusty. There was no, no pavement. They wore sandals. When you came into a home, you, you would wash your feet. And, and when you came into a home of someone, the lowest person in that home would, would wash the feet. It could be a child. could be a servant. Sometimes it was the wife. And if you had no one wash their feet, you at least give them water. But he didn't even give Jesus water. He says, you gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. A kiss is like a handshake. You didn't shake my hand or nothing. You did not anoint my head with oil. That was olive oil to kind of cleanse the wash, the ceremonial. She anointed my feet with perfume. So here's the thing. I am from a part of the culture, uh, country, part of the world, I mean, Texas, where there are certain things we do. In my family, I was raised in the city of my family's country, and you kind of all do the same thing. When someone comes to, to your home, you have a mat out front so they can wipe their feet. 
This might be dirty. When they come in, you shake their hand, maybe give them a pat on the back. This time of year, take the coat, hang it up. Say, can I get you a cup of coffee, a glass of water? What would you like? We offer them stuff. In essence, what, what Jesus is saying is, when I got there, you know, you were gone. The servants went around. There was no mat out for me to wipe my feet. No one took my coat. No one shook my hand. No one offered me a cup of coffee. That's kind of the way it is. For this reason, I'm going to say to you, Her sins, which are many, notice, Jesus said she's got a lot of sins. He didn't downplay the sin in her life. She's got a lot of sins. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. Now understand, (coughs) he's not saying because she loved much, she has had her sins forgiven. The word forgiven means an act that was done in the past that has consequences that linger on. So what she is saying is this. Her sins have already been forgiven because of this she loved much. We don't know when her sins were forgiven. Somewhere along the way, before this incident, this woman had some sort of contact with Jesus. At some point along the way, she came into communication. She came into the experience of Jesus, and she experienced his grace. We're not told when, where, or how, but she had. She had already had her sins forgiven. So she says she loved much, but he who was forgiving little loves little, and that would be Simon. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Can you imagine having Jesus says your sins are forgiven? I've already been forgiven, but I want you to know they're forgiven. And those who reclined at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is, man, who is this man that even forgives sins? Who can forgive sins? Only God. And who is this guy to forgive sins? Who does he think he is? Only God can do that. But the truth be known, only God can raise a man back to life who's been dead and is put in a casket. And only God can heal someone, especially long distance. Only God can do that. So if you can heal someone long distance and you can raise a dead guy back to life, pretty sure you can forgive sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go with peace of your heart. Why? Your faith saved her. Where did the faith come from? From God. When that grace came upon her and forgave her, gave her the faith and she trusted, she trusted Jesus. And he says, you have been saved Completely, totally. Here's the thing. Grace and faith bring us to God through Jesus. What takes a broken life and brings it back together? Grace does. And when grace takes that broken life, brings it back together, there is that faith that is given to us so that we can trust and believe in Jesus. I said Luke's story is about a broken life, a hardened life, and the way of life. This woman... She had a broken life, man. She really did. She was a sinner. There's no hiding that. I mean, Jesus doesn't hide the fact. She said she has a lot of sin. I mean, it was well known. She was, she was either a prostitute or an adulterous woman. Her, her sin in the world was on display. People knew this is a sinful woman. And not only that, he said, but she's been broken. I mean, she's, what you see her, she's just broken. I mean, how much more broken are you than and to go into the house with all these people who will ridicule you, who, who scorn you, and you're crying, and you're just washing the feet of Jesus? She was broken, but she was also restored. Jesus took her life, put it back together. What you see from this woman is gratitude. You see her just thanking Jesus. In fact, she wanted to thank Jesus so much that the woman suffered ridicule and shame in the house of a Pharisee. So that she could feel the love and forgiveness of Jesus. Think about that. That's what grace does. Grace takes a broken life. And that life, that person, doesn't matter. There's there's no shame too great. There's no ridicule. It doesn't matter what people are saying. Just to be with Jesus. To experience that forgiveness. 
experienced that love. There was a hardened life also. That was a Pharisee. He's a hard guy. Think about it. But you understand, the Pharisees were religious leaders. They were supposed to be connected to the people to help them. In fact, there were about, probably between four and 6,000 Pharisees. Nobody ever knows for sure. But they were, the, they were the religious leaders that were with the people, along with the, along with the rabbis. You know, and, and those were the guys that, that were there to help them and comfort them. He was so caught up in his religious system. I preached about a religious system uh, back in September. He was so much a part of that system that he had no tenderness, no compassion. Where's his mercy? You're a religious leader. Where's your mercy? There's none. Where's your compassion? Where's the tender heart? To help this woman, you don't have to tell her everything's okay. There's nothing wrong with her sin. Of course there's something wrong with her sin. Jesus says she sinned much. Where's the compassion? He was hard. He was self-righteous. He looked down at this woman. He looked down at Jesus. If he was a prophet, he would know. I mean, Jesus... Jesus is helping this woman at the brokenness of her life. And the Pharisee in his self-righteousness is looking down at both of them. And, and he was confronted by this whole picture. And Jesus confronts him. You don't know how to love, Simon, because you've never been forgiven. Simon, you've never experienced grace. That's tough. I don't want Jesus to ever look at me and say, hey, you don't know how to forgive because you don't know how to love, and you've never experienced Christ. That's something I would never want to hear. And then there was the way of life. Jesus, he loved. He loved her. He loved Simon. Jesus loved all people. Even when he took a whip and drove the money changers out of the temple area, he still loved them. He just loved them harshly at that moment, you know. Bam. And Jesus forgave. He forgave this woman. He had already forgiven her of whatever she had done. And he saved her. Because that's what grace does. Grace saves and restores the brokenness of life. Two people encountered Jesus. But only one experienced grace. Only one had faith. They both had the same opportunity. And there he was. I mean, there was Jesus. Simon's just a few feet from him, sitting across the table from him. I mean, he was right near Jesus. There was a woman near Jesus. There were people all around. I mean, Simon was in the presence of a guy who raised a dead man back to life. He was in the presence of a guy who healed someone long distance. And he was in the presence of a guy who could tenderly look at a woman and say, you have been forgiven. You are saved. Go in peace. And Simon did nothing. Because grace was not something he was willing to receive. He had no faith. I pushed him aside. When I began this message, the series, I was in Romans. Paul wrote about sin and the way God looks at us. God sees us as being godless, and God sees us as being wicked. To be godless means we sin against God. To be wicked means we sin against other people. Doesn't matter if we see ourselves that way. You may say, I don't see myself that way. Doesn't matter. God does. At the end of the day, that's all that matters. Then he wrote a, we looked at a passage in, in, in Titus about a message about the power of grace to overcome all that. And grace brings regeneration and it brings justification. To be regenerated means to be born again. It means to be restored. I mean, and the Holy Spirit regenerates us. He, he washes our sins away and he puts us back where we need to be. The brokenness is restored. And then we're justified by grace. In other words, God looks at us and declares we're in right standing with him. 
You're okay with me now. Your sins are gone. I've forgiven them. In Jesus, you're right with me. That's what happens. And we saw last week, Paul, you know, and, and, and Paul, you know, was, was on the road to Damascus. He was on the road, you know, to persecute, kill Christians. And we saw Jesus save his life. I mean, this guy was going to be a murderer. I mean, there's nothing worse than murdering. Paul was murdering people. And even in our culture, we know that's wrong. Pure grace. And here's this woman. And maybe in our culture, she's not seen as a sinner anymore. But back then, her life was totally immoral. And that's how everybody looked at her. And Jesus, in his grace, saved her. Here's the thing. No one in no sin is beyond grace. Sometimes we act like that. Sometimes people will think, well, no, you know, I've sinned so much or I've done so many rotten things that I'm, I'm beyond all that. No, you're not. You're, you're not going to sin any more than that woman. You're not going to sin any more than Paul. And Jesus saved them both. There's nothing you can do that puts you beyond the grace of God. There's no sin that can be so far out there that grace can't forgive it. But on the other hand, sometimes we as followers of Christ, and I'm in there, we act like some people are beyond grace. You realize no one's beyond grace? Sometimes as believers, we look at people like, well, you know, your life's pretty lousy. You're, you're, you're such a lousy sinner. I don't think God wants to save you. I don't think God can save you. We act like they're beyond grace. No one is ever beyond grace. Because there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. It's something that's given to us. And what's given to us is the faith that comes with grace so that we can trust Christ with our lives. Grace takes the brokenness of life and puts it back together. Grace takes a person who has sinned against God, sinned against other people, and who has just plain ruined their life. And grace brings them to God. Because grace, what it brings, is salvation. And everybody needs salvation. Because everybody's life at some point is broken. Everybody's life needs restoring. And as a church, we've got to come to the place Whereas a father of Christ, we understand that every life is valuable to God. And every person matters. And every person can experience grace. When we become that type of church that wants all people, regardless of who they are, to experience that forgiveness and that grace and that love that takes away the many sins they've committed, then we'll see people give their life to Christ. Because we'll be living and showing them and expressing that grace. Now, some of you today, you need grace. Because to be honest, your life is kind of like that sinful woman. Your life, in some ways, may be like that hardened Pharisee. At some point, you're a long way from God. And you need Jesus to bring you there to restore you. And so today, you can experience grace through faith. You can trust Christ to save you. Back in September, I preached a message a series of messages where that series was about 
how futile it is for religion to save people. Religion can't save us. And, and I preached about the inadequacies of religion. And here in October, my series has been about grace. And the reason for that is simple. When you look at grace and you look at religion, only one of those is from Christ. And only one of those can save you. Only one of those can take what is broken and bring it back together. And that's grace. And we all need grace. Some of you today need to experience the grace that saves you. And in just a moment, we'll have an invitation. There'll be people here, men and women. You can come and say, I need that grace. And I need to come in faith and experience the grace of God. And some of you, as followers of Christ, you need to start realizing that no one is beyond grace. And you need to make sure your heart does not get hard like the Pharisee. But that you are willing to love and forgive people just like Jesus. Because in the end, all of us have a broken life that needs restoration. All of us need grace. Because grace will change a life forever. So Father, here we are in need of grace. Something only you can provide. And so I ask in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit that you would share grace with us. For those of us who are followers of Christ and already experienced that grace, allow your grace to remind us what it is to have a tender heart and that no one is beyond the reach of your grace and that we need to help people experience that faith and grace that comes from you. And to the person that is here, who needs your grace, who needs, like that woman, to have her sins forgiven and her life saved, I pray in the name of Christ that she would visit that man or woman with grace. They would experience the salvation only you can bring. They would know what it is to have life. So, Father, we ask this and we pray for this, that you take what is broken, you meet it with grace, and change your life forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We'll be at the front. You come.